Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Desiree Ofori podcast. My name is Desiree and today we have a guest. Her name is Sarah Fox from the Rough Edges podcast. Today we're going to be talking about mental health and faith and how our mental health diagnoses and our journey with mental health has actually strengthened our faith in God. We'll also be talking about what led us to get professional help, some tips and advice for those of you who are suffering in silence, and also advice for those of you who are friends and family of those who are having some mental health challenges and what you can do to best support them. I am so in love with this episode. It was literally one of my most favorite interviews that I've done to date. Definitely candid, definitely vulnerable, definitely authentic in all ways possible. And I just pray that it encourages you and blesses you as it did for us. So if this is piquing your interest at all, definitely keep listening or watching on YouTube. You can also reach out to us. Our information will be in the description. And yeah, let's get right into it. Thanks for being here. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to a new episode of the Desiree Ofori podcast. Like I mentioned, we have a special guest today. It is Sarah I. Fox. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So Sarah is my first interview in like a year and change. So <laughs> I was really glad when she reached out to me and the topics that she had available to talk about was just like, okay, this is definitely in alignment. I felt um, with what I want to be doing moving forward. And I just felt like it was definitely a godsend. Like, okay, God, God is like, okay, here's a nudge. Here you go. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce formally Sarah, and then I will allow her to tell us a little bit more about herself. Sarah is a Christian woman who encourages others to stay pure in a world that stays that says otherwise. She is an alumni of the King's College with a BA, Bachelor's in Politics, Philosophy, and Economics, with a pre-law minor. Sarah spends most of her time mentoring at-risk youth and preparing them for job opportunities. She is also the host of the Rough Edges podcast, where she shares educational tools about mental health, anecdotes for her healing journey, and the intersection between faith and mental illness. Sarah also loves performing spoken word, writing for her blog, and trying new exotic foods. Thank you, Sarah. Doesn't she sound like exciting? <laughs> so official, politics, philosophy, and economics with a pre-law minor. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. What? What made you get into that? What was what was that about? <laughs> yeah, so I originally wanted to be a defense attorney for juvenile delinquents. And so when I was looking at colleges, I was looking at ones that studied, you know, the political, philosophical, and even economic factors of why, you know, youth are in the system. And so Kings really appealed to me because it had all of those things. Plus it had the element of you could be a Christian and still occupy those spaces in your career. So that was something that really interested me. And then the pre-law was just so I could prepare myself for law school. But funny enough, God redirected my passions and he showed me that mental health was another component that I need to address when, you know, helping at-risk youth. And so now I am studying forensic psychology, hoping to get my master's sometime soon in that area. So it all kind of came full circle in a way. Wow, that is so exciting. So I used to work at a um, juvenile detention center. That was my first job after I got my master's degree in mental health counseling. And mm -hmm. oh, Lord. <laughs> Boy, it, it was something else. It was an experience. <laughs> but being their therapist really did open my eyes to, like you were saying, there's so many factors that bring them to where they are. They don't just, up, you know, wake up one day and decide I'm going to be, you know, a delinquent and get into trouble and all of these things. There's so many, there's so many things that factor into that and getting to be a part of like their mental health journey was was very special but getting to understand like you know the thought process and they're super intelligent is what mm -hmm. I, I discovered super smart like, you have to be smart like street smart is not just like okay a street smart common sense it's not like you have to be really intelligent to navigate yeah. all of that so I I'm glad for people who like have a heart to work with them and can see past what's going on I've always been that way like there's always there's always something well what else is going on 
like kind of keep peeling the layers like what else is going on what's at the core and then we can like build back up to what's going on the surface but that's that's really cool so we have that connection <laughs> that's, that's really really cool awesome so in your podcast you talked about your diagnosis and how um i was listening to one of your episodes about how you was diagnosed but you were trying to like pull in faith also and just giving like some tips about what you learned through the process of the diagnosis and the and everything that you're going through with your mental health do you mind telling us a little bit about you know what your diagnosis is and how you reached to that point yeah so my diagnosis is bipolar one disorder and so what that means is I have severe shifts in mood at a given time. So I could go from being depressed into a hypomanic state, which is me talking really rapidly, me being overproductive, me being very excited, high energy, lack of sleep. And I could even cross over into full-blow mania, which is what got me the diagnosis in the first place. Because if I don't take care of myself, if I don't especially prioritize sleep, I will definitely be in a state where I am just all over the place emotionally and my energy is like at a thousand and I think I'm invincible and I think nobody could touch me and I could do a million things and it's just uh, a roller coaster, put it that way. And so what brought me to having this diagnosis was the fact that I wasn't taking care of my mental health while I was in college. And so in college, especially, I was just going nonstop. Like I was making sure that I was getting my assignments done, that I was making preparations for graduation. And then the pandemic hit. And so I was trying to see what my life would look like in light of that. And just coming out of that and graduating during the pandemic really just put a perspective shift in my mind where it's like, okay, life is so short. I got to keep going. I got to achieve as much as I can at a young age. So that way I could just live my life later on. And while I had that mindset, it really set me back in terms of like my emotional and mental health, because I was putting that on the back burner. I was saying, as long as I can physically get up, go to work, do what I need to do, mental health could take a backseat to that. And that was something that I really regret. Um, come to think about it because if I would have put my mental health first I probably wouldn't have had a severe manic attack so in January of 2021 I was hospitalized for having a full-blown manic attack so mine was very aggressive so I was like using vulgar language I was very aggressive I was very high energy I wasn't sleeping for like four days straight um, and I was just going back and forth between really high energy and re and a lot of rage. So that was the breaking point for me because I wasn't really knowing what was going on. I was blacking out. I was hallucinating, hearing things, seeing things while I was going through this manic episode. And it really pushed me and my family even to get me some help and get me institutionalized into a mental hospital. And so while I was there, they gave me my diagnosis and I didn't believe the diagnosis at all. I was like, there's no way it's bipolar disorder. I was, I thought it was depression. I even thought it was like anger or anxiety, or I thought I needed some anger management classes probably, <laughs> but I did not think it was bipolar disorder. And I even got a confirmation from my psychiatrist right now who also gave her diagnosis and it was definitely bipolar one disorder so even with the second opinion I was still you know just not <laughs> like yeah. I was denying it and I just couldn't believe that I had this but over time the Lord really use that as a way to help me take better care of myself mentally and emotionally because I've neglected that part of myself for so long I really needed a wake-up call and that moment now that I look back on it in the moment it didn't feel like that but now I can look back on it and see yeah God was really telling me hey you need to take care of yourself and yeah. you need to 
put your mental health first. And so that's how Rough Edges came in. And I was just like, okay, God really did a number on me in terms of pushing me to take care of myself properly. And I just, I was really researching and saying, how can I marry the two, like faith and mental health? Because mental health is in the Bible as well. I mean, if you look at the Psalms, if you look at Elijah, he's like, a great model of depression, like, you know, just like how depression could affect someone. And so Mm -hmm. mental health is in the Bible, but we don't often talk about how it affects, like one affects the other, you know? And I wanted to bring those two together because the faith element gives you the hope that you need to Mm -hmm. deal with the mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I was saying to myself, look, if I wanted to give hope to someone in their lowest moment, that's where the faith element would come in because our hope is in Christ and our hope is that he can bring us through these challenges that we face on a daily basis. So that's, you know, the short version of (laughs) my journey into creating rough edges and trying to see where faith and mental health intersect. Awesome. So do you feel like just pulling back a little bit, do you ever like look back and over like before college even and see times when you were in maybe high school, middle school, when you were younger, like, do you ever look back and see like the signs that they were there, that it was there and just kind of like miss? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was a little easier to miss back then because I just thought, oh, I'm hormonal. I'm a teenager. Like I'm just going through <laughs> But um, so it was a little bit, um, you know, harder to catch in the moment. But for me, when I look back on it and I look on moments where I would be crying profusely at school and then I would come home and be all high energy and energetic. And after I was just crying like a couple of minutes ago, like I I was telling myself, okay, this is not okay. Um, So... Yeah, it was things like that where I was like, okay, the sudden shift in mood is something that's very um, concerning for me. But again, I thought, oh, I'm a teenager. So of course, I'm going to be moody. Of course, I'm going to be hormonal. Like, that's just how it goes. But when I got into college, and it was still that way. And it even got a little bit more severe because I was in therapy at the time. And my therapist was like, you know, are you okay? Like, (laughs) she literally had to ask me, like, are you doing okay? Because you're telling me that you're, you were crying. And then a couple minutes later, you're like, you know, laughing and talking with me as if nothing happened. And so I was just like, oh, that's, that's just me. Cause at the time I was like, oh, that's just normal Sarah stuff. Like I'll get over it. I'll be fine. But no, As I look back on it, I can absolutely see like those moments where the mood shift was so rapid and so extreme because I was feeling things so intensely. It's kind of like a all or nothing mentality where it's just like, if I'm sad, I think, oh, the world is ending. I will never get better. Things will never work out. And then if I was happy, I'm just like, oh, I'm on top of the world. No one can touch me and all that stuff. So yeah, I absolutely look back on it and I'm like, yeah, that was bipolar disorder, but I just didn't realize it because again, I was putting my mental health on the back burner. Yeah, I can definitely relate with that. Like looking back over child, that's the reason why I asked because I feel like a lot of things that people are getting diagnosed with now, I feel like they were things that have always been there. And I think a lot of people think that especially now with social media, that a lot of people are more vocal about whatever um, diagnoses that they may have, or just, there's a lot more information available, readily available about all the different types of mental health issues that people have. Now people realize there's more things than just, you know, being sad or, you know, have it worrying, like there's depression, there's anxiety, there's bipolar, there's like all of these things um ADHD is a big one right now so a lot of people think like oh it's just you're just saying that you have it because it's the next trending diagnosis out there and people a lot of people are self-diagnosing but they don't I think people who have never really experienced that don't realize like no this has been going on for a long time Mm -hmm. and even even beyond childhood like for I think like for like we said like you said in the bible there is you know it speaks about it all throughout the bible people having you know different issues but I think like 
when it comes to faith, people just want to like glaze over it. Mm-hmm. I think because of misunderstanding and not have lack of knowledge. I think that's the biggest thing. So when people are like, oh, you're just saying, I'm like, no, this has been with me for a while. And maybe right. something triggered it. So like you said, once you got into college, you know, a lot more pressure probably triggered it and made it, you know, exacerbated it. But I think it's something that, you know, like when we look at, you know, a child, I'm like, wait a minute, I, there were some signs. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, that was probably that. That was probably that. I know of a lot of adults right now who are getting diagnosed with Asperger's and mm. or, or being on the autistic, they don't call it Asperger's anymore, the autism spectrum. Um, there's a lot of adults, a lot of creatives actually, who are being diagnosed with autism. And when they look back over their life and they're like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Why didn't it, again, because we didn't have the you know, readily available information that we have now. So I think just to put it out there for anybody who has never dealt with it, to be sensitive, to that to not be quick to judge I'm like oh you're just coming up with that because you know a lot of these diagnoses they do kind of blend here yeah. and there but there is a manual called the diagnostic <laughs> manual that is used I don't even know what edition it is on now because I've been out of the field for so long but there is a manual it's like a bible I'm like do I even have mine still it's like I have it somewhere but it's like a thick book that has mm-hmm. all of these diagnoses and each diagnosis has like pages and bullet points of like you have to like meet there's like it's very specific so a lot of times people are like oh these doctors and therapists are just you know throwing out like there's a lot of specific criteria that have to be met and especially with bipolar that's not something that you can just like point like oh yeah you have it like there would take some time for like, you know, evaluation and review and observation to make sure like, okay, this is what this is. Because like I said, like sometimes the um, diagnoses, they all kind of seem to like blend together, but there's specific, you know, criteria for each one. So um, if anybody out there is ever thinking, oh, they're just, you know, coming up with this stuff, like, no, we just didn't have names for it, one. <laughs> we didn't right. have a lot of people talking about it. So a lot of people suffered by themselves. And um, I, why I think it's just so important for us to be talking about it in conjunction with faith that, you know, Christians do experience this. It's a part, I feel like it's a part of life. Yeah. Like you're going to have sad moments. You're going to have high moments. You're going to have in-between moments. And for some people, it's more intense than others. And depending on your life situation and what's going on and your makeup, you know, you just, you just never know. So just to put that out there, people, be gentle. <laughs> yeah. You don't know and what you don't know, but once you know better, I have told you now, you know better. <laughs> be considering, be slow. You know, they say the Lord is slow to anger. Be slow to judge. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but just to add to what you said, because um, you said something very important, which mm-hmm. was we didn't have like the language for it, you know? And yeah. it was so heavily stigmatized back then so it's like if you were going to get help like people in your community especially in the black community Mm -hmm. therapy is so heavily stigmatized where it's just like oh if I speak up about something no one's gonna believe me everybody's gonna judge me so let me just you know stay in my little bubble with my emotions and just not you know find out more about these things so thank you for bringing that up because we never had the tools that we have now to actually talk about these things and to normalize you know having you know mental health is not is not something horrible and it doesn't define who you are as a person and it's physical um illnesses you know like we're more compassionate or more accepting of someone with a diabetes or even cancer and the thing is we're not accepting of mental health conditions because we can't see them and the effects take longer to you know really present themselves in someone's life and so you're thinking oh that person must be psychotic but no that person has has had a buildup of things over time and now the symptoms are manifesting themselves like we said you know you could have been with this as a kid 
And now as an adult, all these symptoms are coming up to the surface now. And so how do you deal with that? So thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I call it the perfect storm when you were saying like all of these things start building up. I feel like I've always had anxiety um, in some way or the other. We just never called it that. When I look, when I hear stories about when I was little, my mom would say stuff like, you know, when you were little, like homework just seemed like it was just so like this huge mountain in front of you and you would cry and, you know, it would just be so big, but like you would still like be able to complete it and you did really well in school. So when I was in college this summers, I was having panic attacks, not thinking that, you know, it was mental. I was thinking it was the environment that I was in. I went to the doctor, was getting allergy tests. I'm not allergic to anything. And then the, I don't know if it was the doctor, the nurse, she was like, have you ever like thought about seeing like a psychiatrist? Like you might be having a panic attack. And I was so offended, even though I, meanwhile, I'm in school for my psychology degree. I'm like, there is nothing wrong with me. I'm going to school to help people with issues. I don't have any issues. (laughs) Looking back, I'm like, clearly that's what it was. It was anxiety. And yeah. I'm, I'm also an overachiever. And so um, also suffer with, um, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. So always like, I'm the first kid on both sides of the family. So there's a lot of pressure on me to perform. And um, also my grandfather was the founder of our church. So like, there was just so much pressure on me that I didn't realize was on me that was kind of like building up this, you know, make me trying to be somebody that I didn't really have the capacity to be, you know, 100% of the time. I was trying to be perfect and everything. But, um, you know, once I, I think it, the the final straw for me was when I got pregnant, um, after I had my first son, I had postpartum depression. I didn't catch it, even as a therapist, I didn't catch it until maybe like four or five months. I'm like, I think I have postpartum. <laughs> and then I started my blog and that kind of helped me to manage that because I had something outside of work and what was going on in my life to focus on. So that was kind of like my coping mechanism, my blog. And then starting, you know, the podcast started when I, after I had my second son and the intensity of the postpartum, like it kind of like, stacked on I never really dealt with it the first time so by the time I had my second one it was like I was still so it was made it completely even worse (laughs) and that's when I finally got into therapy and the only reason why I got into therapy was because my OBG at my six-week follow-up appointment after birth she was at going down the list of like do you feel sad do you feel this you know doing quick lift and I just burst into tears like I knew that I was not feeling well but I was still scared to say something because I'm like, they might take my kid away. They might take oh. me away. Going to the extreme. <laughs> but I look when I look back at that, I am so thankful. Even though I hate that I had to go through that experience, I'm so thankful because I think that's what I needed in order to like kind of get a, like a reality check with, you know, my faith. My faith got stronger because mm-hmm. of that. Like you said, like that was my hope I had to hold on to like if nothing else I had to like if I didn't have any other reason why because I could be like you know even if I did leave this earth I know my kids would be okay but God I know God would be disappointed in me doing that and I know I don't know how but I just know he has something more for me like this is not the end of it for me and so when I have those moments of like depression or feeling down I always go back to like but God (laughs) And I'm like, if I didn't have faith, I have no, I, I probably would not be here. I have no idea how I would have managed, how I would have managed. So with you and bringing in the faith aspect to it, what part of it um, did it strengthen? Like having this diagnosis and going through that manic stage um, and having that whole experience of being hospitalized and everything, what part of your faith was strengthened? Was it that like you felt like, okay, I'm going to be in my word more? Am I going to pray more? Am I going to make sure that I'm surrounded more by people who are also understanding and will like encourage me? What part of your faith walk strengthened for you? 
Mm, that's a great question. Um, for me, prayer life was definitely strengthened through it. Um, I, I have a prayer journal and even in the hospital, I asked my mom, I was like, can you bring my journal? Cause I needed to get my thoughts out and just write prayers to God. And during those moments of being in the hospital and having that outlet of me having a time to like just journal my prayers, it made me more vulnerable with God in a way that I never was before. Um, I used to just pray just to give thanks and focus on the good things, but I never really spoken to God or prayed about the bad things that I was going through. And it really made a difference in terms of like how vulnerable I got with God how often I would pray to him because I used to just pray to him when things were going good and be like, Oh, thank you, Jesus for this. And that's it. Like I wouldn't go into Lord, this sucks. And God, I'm angry. I'm angry at you. You know, like, how could you let this happen? Like those were real things that I would pray about. And that also strengthened like the intimacy that I had with God and just being able to voice those issues with him and just not assume, okay, he knows everything anyway. So why am I voicing these opinions, you know? And so my prayer life was definitely strengthened. And also intimacy and community as a whole was also strengthened as well. Like me surrounding myself with more people in the church because I used to just be, Well, I still am an introvert and I would just shy away from every opportunity to like, you know, do group things and like, you know, (laughs) because I'm just not with that. But after having the diagnosis and just being close with my community and seeing people who really care about me like when I came home from the hospital my phone was blowing up for the whole week Um, because like I thank you everybody friends and family I don't mean that in a bad way but like everybody was just like are you okay are you like do you need anything and I was just you know at first it was a little overwhelming but as I thought about it I was like you know this is the community that I have and this is what God has given me the people that surround me constantly and are constantly in my corner, that is who I have. And that is something that I should cherish because we weren't meant to do this life by ourselves. Like no man is an island. So we can't do this alone, but we we just got to take advantage of the community that God has given us. So prayer life and community were the two aspects of my faith journey that have gotten strengthened since I got my diagnosis. I love it. I love it. Do you feel like you are, once you got the diagnosis um, and you've processed it, you know, what, what was going on, do you feel like you were able to be a little bit more vocal about where you needed help or when you were struggling more than, more than before? Because I feel like, I feel like for a lot of us before, you know, we realize what's going on, we just hold it into ourselves and we don't really tell anybody what's going on. So then when something like that happens, you end up in a hospital, I was like, what? I didn't know anything was going on. (laughs) Did you find find yourself like, the signs were all there. How did y'all miss it? But like, if you don't say anything, like a lot of times people are not going to know. So do you feel like you were able to be more confident in letting people know, like when you're good and when you're not doing good? I would say... I would say yes and no, um, just because I'm still in that phase where I'm like, okay, I don't want to worry anybody. I'm just not really going to say anything because people are going to go overboard and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, do we need to have her go to the hospital again? Like, call your psychiatrist. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a balance. You know, you got to be able to say, hey, look, I am not feeling well today. Um, But here are some ways that I'm going to, you know, take care of myself in this moment. So could you please give me some time to readjust and to take care of myself, you know, and in terms of like reaching out to my psychiatrist, yes, I am very vocal and confident about what I need. Because she, I know that she's going to be there. I know that she is going to give me resources and she's going to talk to me and she's going to either adjust my medication dosage or just like, you know, give me more things that I need to be stable. So in terms of reaching out to my psychiatrist, absolutely. In terms of reaching out to my friends and my family, absolutely. Because these people are in my corner and I know that they want what's best for me. So I, sometimes I text my friends and I'm like, Hey, can we have a conversation? Um, if you're 
free. I just need to hear if I'm talking fast or if you hear anything weird, like just let me know. And we would talk about it and either they would say, yeah, you're kind of talking a little too fast. I mm-hmm. think, you know, you need to taper that down a little bit, but yeah. So in terms of like close friends and family, yes. But I would also say no a little bit because there are certain things that I would keep to myself and that there are certain things where I'm like, oh, I don't want to worry them or make them think that I'm going manic again. But at the same time, it's just like if you don't speak up, like you said, like no one will know. So I'm working on it. I've definitely gotten better, but I'm definitely still working on like getting over the fact that I'm being a burden because sometimes that's what it feels like. It feels like, oh. I'm just burdening these people with my problems and with this diagnosis. But when really you're not being a burden, you're just voicing things that are affecting you. And it's also giving them like a marker and saying, hey, look, like this is what's happening with me right now. I don't want it to get worse. So could you like, you know, walk with me through this or observe me or let me know? Because I tell my mom and sister all the time, I'm like, hey, if I am doing anything weird or, you know, speaking too fast or being high energy or, you know, some things that are like red flags, please mm-hmm. let me, you know, cause they yeah. live with me. They're surrounded by me. And so they know when I am, you know, stable, happy Sarah, and they know when I'm manic Sarah. So mm-hmm. getting, getting them to like, you know, be on the lookout for these things also helps as well. Awesome. And for your family, those who live with you, did they have to get educated on like what this was and like how to help you? Did they like, did they search education for themselves or did you educate them or was it kind of like a, a balance of both? So I would say it's a balance of both. I mean, my mom, she really got on top of it. Like she researched different books. I mean, she was just, you know, articles and she was even teaching me some things this is like hey I think you should be like resting this amount because it helps with the mood switch and I'm like mom what (laughs) so um you know so she really got on top of it and she mostly um took like the caregiver perspective and she definitely researched on how to best be a caregiver and what to do to support like me and this mental health diagnosis my sister as well she looked up different things I had to tell her about like certain symptoms and stuff like that but she went on google and researched the symptoms as well so I would say it is both of like we're teaching each other as this experience is going on and we're also getting to learn more about what this diagnosis actually is and how to handle it so yeah I would say both that's so good. And I think that is so important for, because I know a lot of times when people are having, you know, a breakdown or they're having, you know, whatever the issue is that they're experiencing and people around them, like, I want to help, but I don't know how. And you kind of, they kind of look to you to like guide them. But if you're in a state in where you're like, I, I can't, I, I'm just, I have enough for me right now. I can't like explain more to you it's good for them to go on their own and I would encourage anybody I love that the term like caregiving because caregiving is not just like supervising someone or being a parent or you know watching someone who's you know elderly caregiving is like giving care like you're showing love and you're like showing how you care for this person and one of the ways that you can care besides like giving encouraging words and showing up for them is also like researching and getting to know what you can because like if we, we, like I said, if, we, if you're in like, a, if you're in a depressed state or an anxiety state, or, you know, you just don't know what to do. Like it is helpful to be able to have somebody who does have an idea. Like you don't have to be, you know, everything, but to just like, to get more education on it, I feel is very important. For me, I let the world know <laughs> through my blog that I was having postpartum depression Um, but what I made sure to do at the end of my blog post was like, I left a lot of resources and my mom was living with, um, living with us at the time, um, during my postpartum period, I made sure this after the first time I was like, 
if this comes back, I need to have my support system. <laughs> so I made sure to tell like my mom, my sister, like everybody, like I need, I'm going to need somebody with us postpartum just in case I experience this again and it's worse. I just had a feeling like it was going to be worse. And so when my mom was there, I don't think she did any research beforehand, but after I, after I um, put out that blog post, she was like, I didn't know, I didn't see, I didn't realize anything was going on. And I was like, I just, I couldn't, like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I did leave, you know, information on the end. She's like, yeah, I did see that. And so I did go onto the websites and I did, you know, do a little bit more research. And now I have a little bit more understanding because I never experienced it. And, you know, people in my time that we didn't talk about that stuff, so I didn't know, but I did do the research and whatever. And that meant so much to me. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for clicking the links. <laughs> <laughs> And doing a little bit more reason because I'm still in the thick of it right now. And I don't know how much more to explain to you than I already did in this long blog post. <laughs> <laughs> Telling y'all, these are all the things I'm feeling and this is why I'm feeling. <laughs> but that just helps so much. Like, and that also shows like that you're that is another way of helping that person feel like I'm not alone. And I'm not like being pushed aside. Like, well, you got that. I don't know. That. I'm not to help you. You stay over there. But like actually doing some research on your own and then, you know, taking that and like, you know, either telling them, oh, this is what I read or are you, have you ever experienced that? You know, I think that really, that really helps a lot too. So kudos to your mom and your sister for that. Kudos to them. <laughs> so I, I was wondering also, um, I know for me, like you, you had mentioned, like you realized the community that you had already there for you. Um, for me, I was kind of like in a season of being like pulled away. So I was kind of isolated. Um, I didn't have like my usual friend groups and I wasn't involved in church like I was before I got pregnant. So I was in a season of isolation. So it was like, again, the perfect storm, isolated. I'm going through these hormonal changes, not really sure who to reach out to. But um, after a while, I realized like, who was in front of me, there were certain people that I was wanting to be a part of my life. But then I, I don't know, something happened. I had a switch and realized, oh, there's these people who are right here already. Like, let me, let me get into them. Let me like, let them know because they obviously care and they're already here. <laughs> so why am I reaching out? So, and I realized like my group kind of got a little bit smaller and then it kind of like got a little bit bigger as well. Um, so did you experience that too? Like realizing like there's a lot of people that you wish were there for you and then realizing like, wait, I had, there's some people who are right here who are crutch right now and I'm going to like just tap into them because they're right here already. Did you have that experience too? Yeah, I did. Um, and then it's like when I told some friends about my diagnosis, because I, at first I didn't know like who to tell because I didn't know how the relationship would change. And some of them, our relationship got closer and then others, they don't talk to me right now. So um, it's a bit of a, like a teachable moment where it's just like, okay, I want to reach out to these people. And like you said, you wanted certain people to rally around you and be there for you. But the thing is, um, and I like this quote that I heard, like, I forgot who it was from, but they said, not everybody who goes with you can grow with you. Mm -hmm. So that means it's like your community is going to shift as you keep growing. And so I just had to learn, yeah, it was hurtful for the people who I thought were going to be there and they weren't there or they're not even in my life anymore. That mm -hmm. was something that I had to wrestle with because I thought, oh, I must be defective now. Oh, I must be, you know, worthless. Like nobody wants to be around me, but that wasn't true. So it's really like, just as you said, like pulling into the people that you have right there and the people that are with you and you know that they're with you because they've shown that they care about you. And they've shown that no matter what happens, no matter what diagnosis you have, I'm here for you because you're my friend and we're going to get through this together. So yeah. I have, you know, several people like that now as, you know, I, I've grown on and like my podcast has also helped a lot of people reach out and be like, hey, like, I didn't know you had bipolar disorder. Like, what's that like? What's your experience? How can I support? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So 
kind of the same thing where it was like it was a small community of people but then it branched out as I got more vocal about my experiences and like just seeing who's beside me during this journey yeah I think it's such a beautiful thing to to like have the small community and then be able to branch out the more vocal you are because then there are other people what I discovered I always wanted to be relatable and authentic and everything like that. But the more that I shared about my experience, even though it kind of felt like at the time, like airing my dirty laundry <laughs> and I'm like, God, why you keep having me tell my business like that? <laughs> I don't know if it was always like looking back. I don't know if it was always him like pushing me to do that or if it was just a part of my coping mechanism. Cause I'm like, I don't know who else to, to talk to about this. So I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to put it out there and then whoever reach out, reaches out to me, like that's who I can continue the conversation with. But it was helpful though for others who were experiencing it and feeling alone and who didn't feel like they had community who were suffering in silence. They reach out to me and I was able, you know, then we were able to have like those side conversations and able to like help them and even like mentor and nurture them as they found, you know, their own community. They reached out for therapy and whatnot and, and everything. So it's like, like I said, I, I don't like that I had to go through that, but it has opened up so many, so many doors, so many opened up so many eyes have like increased and improved my faith walk, like getting through that. Um, like nobody can convince me that God isn't real. <laughs> right. And even right. if I ever have any doubts in myself, if I go through my moments of doubt, like, I don't know, cause you know, the world, there's so many, there's so many things going on right now. There's so many um, new thought processes and new ideas. And, you know, everybody has their, you know, idea of who God is in the universe and all this stuff. But I know the God that helped me to get through that, who saw me through that. And that's the God, Yahweh, <laughs> Jehovah Jireh. That's the one. Amen. <laughs> that quiz. I'm going to stick beside him. <laughs> <laughs> And so like nobody, even if I have my moments of like, I don't know, because I'm feeling, you know, wavered, you know, being distracted by the world, like, no, I always bring myself up. That was the God who saw me through, who helped me get through this. And this is the same God that can help that other person get through this. That's why, you know, like we're talking about that intersection of like, you have this ailment, you have this situation, this mental health issue, but you still have God. And if anything all the other tools that you have like therapy and journaling medication, those are just like extra bonuses to like help you along the way. But at the end of the day, like my faith is still strong in God. Like I still believe to God, you know, to help me through it. And even yeah. if I never get completely healed of anxiety or depression, like I said, I still, at least I still have God. Like at the end of the day, I still have yeah. God. And I still have my faith. But you're never a burden to the ones who have the capacity to be there for you. And those who have the capacity to hold you up are the ones who are reaching out and asking you to let them know when you're not doing well. Like they want to know and they're asking you because they have the capacity to be able to hold that. Those who are not there anymore, they may not have, that was not their season. Like, okay, that was when that relationship had to end. Like we've transitioned, like you say, you grow and your community changes and changes and shifts with that. So it's not to be upset. Like it's easy to, like, it's understandable to want to be upset. Like, I thought you had my back. I thought you were there for me, but they may not have had the capacity and they may not have had the wisdom or like, they may not have even been the good influence that you need right now right. Right. <laughs> in this space. So it's like, okay, you can move along. Let me make room for those, you know, let me attract those who are going to be there for me, who can, you know, hold me up. So just keep that in mind. Like you're never a burden to those who are asking you how you're doing or who do check in on you. Um, and even if you reach out, like uh, one of my friends, I love that she does. And she's like, do you have, do you have the capacity right now? I need to vent. Do you have the time? Is this a good time? Do, are you in a good space to be able to handle this right now? And if I'm not like, like be honest and sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not right now, but can I call you back later or whatever? And that gives us room to be like, I'm, that lets me know like, okay, I'm, when I'm good again, like I'm going to check back in on you because you've reached out. But if I do have a pilot, let it on, girl. I'm good today. <laughs> I got my rest, my mental health good. Virtually, I'm good. Like, come on, bring it in. Let me, let me have it. <laughs> let me have it all. And then we're going to take it back to Jesus. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, I just want to like put that out there. If you ever feel like you're a burden, you're never a burden to the ones who are asking. They're asking, then they, that means that they want to know. And, and please don't hold on to it yourself. Like let other people know. So now, do you have any encouragement for those who are dealing with it alone and thinking like, maybe I want to try therapy, maybe not. Maybe I need to go on medication, maybe not. Like they just don't know what to do. What would be your um, advice or encouragement for them? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is your diagnosis does not define you. Um, That's something that I didn't really realize when I first got my diagnosis. But getting a diagnosis, when you think about it, it's just getting information about underlying issues. That's all it is. It's just information. So once you put that in perspective, you'll be able to say, okay, this is a a diagnosis is information about something that I'm dealing with, but it's not the sum total of who I am as a person. Because I think a lot of people fear getting diagnosed with a mental health condition because they think, oh, if I go to therapy, if I seek a psychiatrist, then I'm going to get diagnosed and all of this is going to happen and they're just going to spiral. And no, you don't have to fear the diagnosis itself. It's just information about your underlying conditions. So that's the first thing I would say. It's like, it's not your personality. You are not your diagnosis. Your diagnosis is just something that gives you an indicator of what's going on underneath the surface. And the second thing I would say is similar um, to what you said already, but you're not a burden to other people and you are worth the time that it takes to heal. Um, A lot of people think that they are not worth the effort and that kind of causes them to withdraw. It causes them to feel like, you know, nobody's gonna be there for me when I actually do put in the time and the effort to heal. No, you are worth it. You are worth every day, every second, every minute of your healing journey. You are definitely worth the stability. You're worth the completeness. You're worth the wellness. You're worth everything that it takes to get to the other side of this. And you will get to the other side. And yes, it may not be totally curable, but that doesn't mean it's not treatable. So you can get to a place where you can manage your mental health issue and you can get to the other side of it and be stable and be, you know, happy with the effort that you put into healing. So you are definitely worth the time that it takes. And three, I would say get into a community where you feel like you are best supported and it's okay if that community changes because you may have a therapist that you feel is not really helpful for you at this moment you can find another one like it's not it's not you're not beholden to that person like you can find other people who will actually provide more help for you so I would say never be afraid to reach out for help. Never be afraid to change that if you feel like you're not getting the help that you need. And also never be afraid to just put it out there to your close friends and family because maybe not everybody is meant to have a blog or a podcast and like, you know, share their journeys with everyone. I I know. But the thing is you have people in your life who are close to and you can share that journey with them and even if you're not comfortable saying sharing the details just say hey um, I'm going through something right now do you have a minute to listen or do you you know like we said before have the emotional capacity to handle what I'm about to share with you right now and just share it and see where it goes and that person you know that person will come alongside you if they really care about you and if they say that they don't have the emotional capacity to handle it right now that's okay you can again find people who will um take care of you and who will walk beside you during these moments so i would say pull your resources don't be afraid like there are so many things that are out there right now to help people with mental health issues like you can google you could go on zocdoc to find a psychiatrist You can go on um, Psychology Today to find the therapist directory. Um, There are so many other resources that you can use to find people. So don't be afraid of the diagnosis. It's not who you are and it's not a defect. It's just some information. And you are worth the effort to heal. 
and you can pull the resources from your community. So don't be afraid to do those three things. That's awesome. Such great wisdom. <laughs> Such great <laughs> wisdom. I love it. I love it. So good. Um, Sarah, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up today's conversation? It's been so good talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for having me on today. And I just want to encourage people like, hey, if you need, you know, help, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like, you know, because it's, it's important for you to just put yourself out there and say, hey, look, I'm not doing well. I need help. Like, we're not afraid to go to the doctor when things are wrong. We're not afraid to go to the emergency room when things are wrong. So you have nothing to lose. Just go to a psychiatrist, say, hey, I've been feeling X, Y, Z. They'll go over the symptoms and give you a diagnosis. Like, it's not, it's not something that is hold against you. Like, you can reach out for help and don't be afraid to do so because it will benefit you in the long run. And I, I love also what you said earlier about even if it's not curable, it is treatable. Like you, there is measures in place that you can get to a place where you can be able to maintain. And notice my, my one of my biggest things is noticing my, what my triggers are. I, I have a mental list of the things that trigger me. And one of them, like you mentioned earlier on, I was like, yes, girl, I to- that's totally me. Naps, <laughs> tired. <laughs> I think that was what really set me over the edge because my first son he did not sleep through the night until he was like 13 months old so we were like zombies for a year and change and it was I didn't realize how much I always knew I loved sleep I didn't know how much I needed it until then <laughs> so, I think that was the thing that was like Oop, yep it's just the, we're us all over and done now <laughs> oh gosh so thank you so much for being here again where are all of the places that people can reach out and connect with you yeah so you can um, follow on instagram at rough.edges.podcast or you can visit the podcast website at www.roughedgespodcast is all together all lowercase.com and you can also reach out via email at rough.edges.podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And I will have all of that in the description of this episode. Thank you so much, Sarah, for just being open and bold and putting your story out there and for getting the help that you need and encouraging others along the way. I so appreciate you and I bless you. (laughs) Thank you. All right, you guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. If anything that we said resonated with you, please definitely reach out to us or leave a comment on YouTube. If you want to share this with other people, you can do so on social media. You can send it via text, email, whatever you want to do. There is somebody out there who needs to hear our voice, who needs to hear our story, who can be really encouraged by it. So please help us out and get that out there. Also, links to the resources we mentioned in the episode will be in the description so definitely go there and check it out all right thank you again so much until next time be safe be well and be blessed